What is up, fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Pavali coming at you with our fourth installment of the NBA What If Project. Before we dive into it, please, please let me remind you to continue rating, reviewing, and most importantly, subscribing, following, whatever you call it, this podcast, wherever you might consume it. If, you're, if it's your first time checking us out, all these episodes are not as short. We normally do more in-depth dives, but this just felt like some quick digestible content I could put out during the dead of NBA summer slash whatever it is in advance of training camp at this point. It also coincides with when I'm traveling, as I've noted time and again. But please, it'd mean the world if you throw us the permanent subscription. Tell people about us. Join our Discord. I keep forgetting to remind everyone. The links to that are in the podcast description. Uh, we think I think you'll have a lot of fun uh, coming, hanging out with all of us in Discord, but just following this podcast along. Like I said, the Pacific Division will now be up in our NBA uh, What If project. And just as a reminder, this is something I already worked on and got permission to uh, provide an audio version of it from Bleacher Report, where I talk to people who follow, cover, or root for every team. Uh, and we're talking about smart people, awesome people. And I asked them what their biggest what if was for the team that they cover. I took their responses, packaged it into this massive article, and it's now being released as an audio version. I know these could sometimes be tough to follow. I know I'm also a fast talker at times. I did practice for this. I think it's still just useful, some quick content that we can get through in the the heart of September. So why not? Um, let's dive right in here. The Golden State Warriors are up next in our what-if exercise. Good luck winnowing down their what-if options. What if they didn't collapse in the 2016 finals? What if, Would Kevin Durant still board the bandwagon that summer? Or what if they didn't overcome a 3-1 to deficit of their own against the Oklahoma City Thunder that same postseason? What if the Warriors never swap out Mark Jackson for Steve Kerr? Or what if a David Lee injury didn't create the original runway for Draymond Green to take on a more prominent role? What if the Warriors traded Klay Thompson for Kevin Love? What if the Warriors select LaMelo Ball at number two in 2020 over James Wiseman? What if Chris Cohen never sold the team to Joe Lacob and Peter Guber? Naturally, I was more than happy to shift the onus of this decision onto my cherished colleague, co-host of this podcast, Bleacher Report's Grant Hughes. Here's what he wrote to me. If we accept that Stephen Curry is the person most responsible for transforming the Warriors from laughingstock to a glamour market powerhouse, which we should accept that because it's true, then we have to choose the moment that would have removed him from the organization entirely. It could have been him and not Monta Ellis who went to the Bucks in a package for Andrew Bogut in 2012. Hughes continued to explain that. Judging by the fan response at the time, most might have even preferred that Curry had been the one to go. The home crowd relentlessly booed Governor Joe Lacob in the aftermath of the trade. If only they'd known then that the next seven years would include three titles and five finals trips, a remarkable run of success driven by Curry, who'd win a pair of NBA MVPs in the process. Basically, every other sliding doors moment in the relevant portion of Warriors history hinges on that one transaction. Remove Curry from the equation via that trade, and the dubs would have been led by Ellis, who never averaged over 20 points per game following the trade, and if we're being honest, was always a glorified sixth man masquerading as a starter. In that alternate reality, there are no Splash Brothers. Draymond Green wouldn't have had an all-time shooter and off-ball mover to minimize his weaknesses and play to his strength. The 73-win season surely never would have happened, and KD would neither arrive nor depart. The whole course of Warriors history would have gone in another indisputably worse direction. Curry saved the franchise that nearly traded him. 
I agree with Hughes here. That just has to be the biggest what if. The Warriors are this indomitable, historically great force, and Curry is the nerve center of it all. The next team up is the LA Clippers, and they had lots to choose from. Too many what-ifs are peppered throughout the Lob City era, specifically for the LA Clippers. The Josh Smith game, anyone? But the most important among them happened away from the court, as SB Nation's Sabrina Merchant astutely pointed out. Here's what she wrote to me. What happens if the V. Stiviano audio is never released? Getting out from under Donald Sterling and under competent, let alone actually good, ownership is the single biggest reason why the Clippers have been a championship contender and will continue to compete in the years to come. This is just something that I'm not even sure people's minds immediately go to, but I agree with Sabrina that this is the direction we have to go. Chris Paul came to the Clippers even with Sterling in the fold, but it would be a gross oversight to say the former team governor wasn't a detriment to the organization's livelihood, or for that matter, a racist stain on society. Smaller market teams were generally more committed to spending on players and franchise personnel than the Sterling era Clippers. That is a stark contrast to how they're run under current team governor, Steve Ballmer and his willingness to bankroll steep luxury tax payments and soon to be record breaking payrolls. Attributing the arrival of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard to Bomber alone goes way, way, way too far. But would both players be as interested in joining the Clippers if Sterling were in the fold? That's more debatable. What isn't up for argument is how much more respective and innovative the Clippers are as an organization without Sterling. And for as much credit as the NBA received when it exiled him, the league only made the call after the audio was released of Sterling's racist rant to V. Stiviano suggesting that without those recordings, the organization could be much worse for wear today. Kudos to Sabrina for being for remembering to, to point that out. It's clearly the biggest what-if for the Clippers. Next up, the Los Angeles Lakers. We know where this is headed. Basketball reasons. Those two words alone are enough to send Los Angeles Lakers fans down a rabbit hole of what could have been, of who was stripped from them. In 2011, as the NBA emerged from a lockout, the Lakers agreed to a three-team trade with the Houston Rockets and then New Orleans Hornets that would have landed them Chris Paul in exchange for Pau Gasol, Pau Gasol, excuse me for the pronunciation there, and Lamar Odom. Then NBA Commissioner David Stern in the league, which was managing the Pelicans at the time, eventually scuttled the deal. CP3 went to the Clippers, and the Lakers began a long downward spiral that spawned what-if moments galore many of which are the direct result of or could have been avoided if this story trade went through. Just ask Jabari Ali Davis of 19 Media Group, because I did, and this is what he told me. I've heard all the reasoning and ultra-annoying relitigation of the events. Only thing I'll state is regardless of where you stand on the outcome, the series of events that transpired reportedly during and after those negotiations was peculiar, peculiar to say the least. Beyond pairing a prime CP3 with a still really good Kobe Bryant, the Lakers could have conceivably turned around and also brought in a talent like Dwight Howard at the time. Now, there's definitely a conversation to be had about just how terrible of a fit Dwight would have been with both Kobe and CP3's personalities. The same video games, Jabari noted. But even if the Lakers wanted to move on and recalibrate, they still would have had a prime Dwight to then deal for parts to solidify the roster around Kobe and CP3. And since we're now in purple and gold make-believe land, the Lakers would have wound up wouldn't have wound up making the catastrophic Steve Nash deal, nor would Kobe have had to play himself into the ground until his actual Achilles exploded just two years later. This was enough for me, all of that from Jabari. But 
but he wasn't done. He continued, diving even deeper into purple-tinted glasses. Kobe also probably sits atop the scoring list by the end of it, as the duo, plus whatever consortium of talent the Lakers put around them, wins a title or two along the way. It completely changes the conversation surrounding CP3's career, and it puts an end to the greatest Laker debates. Personally, I'll push back on Jabari saying Kobe definitely would have bagged the all-time scoring crown just because you know, father time comes for everybody. It is intriguing to think about how differently CP3's legacy would be viewed by the lazy hot takesters had he nabbed a title in this alternate Lakers universe. And not only do I think this is the right pick, I really probably think it's it's the only what-if pick for the Lakers. Our next team up in this NBA what-if exercise, the Phoenix Suns. And I'm sure some people don't know where this is, is going. Remember that time the Phoenix Suns could have drafted Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Sam Cooper from the Timeline podcast sure does. This is what he wrote to me. To find the Suns' biggest what-if moment of them all, we must venture all the way back to the very beginning. In 1968, the Suns and Bucks entered as the league's freshest expansion teams. After difficult inaugural seasons for both organizations, they participated in a coin flip to determine the rights to the 1969 draft's number one pick, a pick that would surely be used on UCLA standout Lou Alcindor. As the story goes, Cooper continued, the Suns pledged to tie their destiny to the results of a fan poll. As 51.2% of Suns fans wished to select heads on the coin flip, that's precisely what the team did. When the coin came up tails, general manager Jerry Colangelo drove around the city aimlessly for hours as the gravity of the situation sunk in. Lou Alcindor, later Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, went on to win three MVPs and one championship in Milwaukee before packing his bags for L.A., Neil Walk, the number two selection in that draft, he carved out a solid career, starting at center for several years. But he was never an all-star, much less an MVP. This is spectacular work by Cooper. The what-if Team X drafted player Y discourse is always fickle, usually revisionist history. This isn't that. Kareem to Phoenix was the hope. More recent missed opportunities or bad luck might take the cake for others, though. What if John Paxson doesn't hit a championship-winning shot against Phoenix in 1993? What if Robert Ori doesn't hip-check Steve Nash in 2007? What if Meta World Peace, then Ron Artest, didn't bury that Game 5 buzzer beater in the 2010 Western Conference Finals? What if Drew Holiday doesn't strip Devin Booker at the end of Game 5 in the 2021 NBA Finals? What if the Suns don't get absolutely gobsmacked in Game 7 of the 2022 semifinals? Worthy choices abound for the Suns, and I can't quibble with any of them. But getting Kareem, as hoped, would have altered the entire trajectory of the Suns franchise. Cooper closed with this. While simply rostering Kareem brings no guarantee of championship-level success, it's not difficult to envision this version of the Suns becoming a powerhouse extremely early into their franchise history. That reputation boost very well could have created a ripple effect, allowing the organization to strive for even greater heights in the 1970s and beyond. Our next team up is everyone's favorite, the Sacramento Kings. Teams with innumerable what-if moments that warp the past, present, and future make it difficult to dwindle down the field to a lonely flashpoint. In the case of the Sacramento Kings, though, Jillian Edge of Sports Ethos believes the answer is clear. Losing the 2022 Western Conference Finals, she wrote, no question this team would have had a title. It might not have stopped the Maloofs from losing their money outside of basketball years later, but I think it puts a different light on the organization as a whole. And maybe they could have sold them earlier without the drama every offseason of, will they move to Anaheim, Virginia Beach, Las Vegas, or Seattle? I was there for every home game that series and experienced emotion, every emotion possible during that span. The sad thing is the only high to come close to this since then came off the basketball court, keeping the team in Sacramento. 
that was uh, really some great visuals there from Jillian. Others, though, they'll gravitate toward the decision to select Marvin Bagley the third at number two in 2018 over Luka Doncic, who went number three. That's a viable option. So, too, are the team's decision to fire Rick Adelman, the decision to fire Michael Malone, the disaster piece that was 2015 free agency, and a litany of other draft and organizational missteps. But tangible title chances carry profoundly more emotional tonnage than hypothetical windows contingent upon roads not traveled. That 2001-2002 King squad was dominant. They finished with a top six offense and defense while leading the NBA in point differential per 100 possessions. Falling to the eventual champion Lakers is one thing. It's another to have that loss ensconced in controversy, specifically claims that game six was fixed. Even if it wasn't, Coming within moments advancing to the NBA Finals, knowing LA went on to sweep the then New Jersey Nets, stings beyond measure. Because while the Kings' core wasn't immediately dismantled, that season represented a pinnacle. Heights and opportunity, not only never again sniffed by this nucleus, but the entire franchise. As Jillian wrote to me, the Kings are in year 16 of no playoffs and being the punching bag of the NBA. It has been down a downhill slide since that 2002 series, both gradual and steep. I hope you all enjoyed this fourth installment of the NBA What If exercise we're going through. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't done so already. Join our Discord. Link is in the podcast description. Follow us on all the socials. Links to those are in the podcast description. And until next time, I leave you all with a shout-out to the one, the only, the indelible, Frank Nielakina.